recording. Let me make sure that we're live. We're live. No one's left any messages saying that there's any technical issues. So I think we are good to go whenever you want to. Ah, wait, one last thing. One last thing. Cool. All right. I've got Periscope's chat up here. Um, whenever you want to start, we can start. Welcome to the Moving Forward podcast. This is your anchoring host, Rio, and I have Seth from the Dividend Report on. He is one of our recurring guest stars, uh, and he's coming back on today for SCOTUS Talk, because as you all probably know by now, and if you're hearing it for the first time, I'm sorry you're hearing it from me, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away yesterday. Uh, and so we're going to talk about her life. We're going to talk about the makeup of the Supreme Court. Uh, we're going to talk about what the likelihood is of Trump being able to fill the vacancy before the election and what it means after the election. Say hi, Seth. Hey, guys. I wish this was under better circumstances. And I do think that we should start by, you know, the condolences, the remembrance of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life. If, if this had happened a year ago, it would be a lot easier to have that to be the main focus. Uh, but unfortunately, that's just not the case. There's there's so much more that has to be talked about. And I wish that it was just her life that was being talked about. Yeah, I, I told my wife last night, my wife's um lifelong feminist. She went to uh, Bryn Mawr College, which is a um, well-known feminist women's college. Uh, and um, she has a little toy of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> she, so you can, you know, but you know, I told her last night, I said, honestly, I'm not sad for Ruth because she lived a long, full life, um, a really amazing, fulfilling life where she got to be the change she wanted to see, the see in the world. Um, I'm more worried about the possibility of the radical, uh, let's call them the American Taliban, um, getting their way and uh, moving us that much closer to a theocracy. Um, now I'm the sort of conservative who believes in individual liberty, not the collectivist kind of conservative who thinks that you need to enforce some kind of fascist conformity upon people. Um, frankly, if Donald Trump were the kind of conservative I am, I'd be voting for him. So it's not, my, my differences with him aren't over well, I have lots of differences with him, as it turns out, because he's, I'm not sure he's even fiscally conservative for that matter. But um, on, on social issues, where he's very authoritarian, um, and, and on behalf of people who he doesn't even agree with, right? I mean, Trump is almost certainly an atheist. He's definitely never read the Bible. He doesn't go to church. Um, but he knows that in order to be a Republican president, he has to be hostile to women's rights. Um, and that's what he's going to do to keep his voters happy. It's not because he believes in it. It's a very cynical thing. Yeah, it's it's tragic, right? Because this wouldn't be such an issue if the Supreme Court hadn't been gradually more and more politicized over time. Her Her achievements in life could be more of the focus if it wasn't the weird dynamic that we found ourselves in right now. Um, and what you said about Trump and, and you know, like, like if I had to put today and last night and put it all together into one word, it would be hypocrisy. Um, and that's what we're truly dealing with at this moment. And it's hypocrisy on so many different levels. And in this discussion is going to have so many different layers to it. Questions such as how is this going to affect the 2020 election moving forward? How does this affect future decorum within our, our Congress? 
uh, within our government in general? How is this going to affect Roe versus Wade, the Affordable Care Act, future legislation like universal basic income? All of these things, you know, we're on the precipice of, I, I've struggled with this thinking about how I'm going to talk today because I don't want to come across in a, a doomer way. I, I, and again, if this conversation was happening one year ago, I, I wouldn't be so inclined to start saying what I'm about to say. But in order to, in order to really set the stage, I'm going to have to go off on a little bit. So, so bear with me here. I've recently gotten back into, on the edge of my seat. Okay. Okay. Uh, really what led me to Yang in the first place was technology and artificial intelligence and knowing that great change is coming. Now with Yang out of the race, I've tried to remove myself a little bit more from politics and I've re I've brought my vision back to artificial intelligence. And what I've realized is that a lot has been happening in just the course of a year and a half. It has blown me away. And the, the fire alarm is happening and no one's really looking at this right now. The fire alarm is the idea that we have reached the beginning of an exponential explosion that we cannot control. There is a neuro artificial intelligence called GPT-3 that is exhibiting signs of generalization in artificial intelligence, which means that it can be applied to fields that it was not necessarily designed for. Um, when, when AlphaGo beat the world's best Go player in Go, it, it was designed specifically to play Go. It can't, it can't take the skills that it's been designed on and turn around and actually create a poem or an essay. Now, GPT-3, on the other hand, has been specifically designed to predict text. It's predicting basically just like as if you were creating a text to one person and sending it off to another person, um, it'll say, I think you want to say will instead of I. You just ramp this up times a thousand and all of a sudden it's able to do things like it can create a website. By, you just ask it, I want you to create an, a website like twitter.com. But instead of, you know, it being social media, I want it to be advertising a app and it, it'll pop it out and it'll show the code that it referenced to make the, uh, the app next to it. It is scary how powerful this thing is. And cryptologists and artificial intelligence researchers are, are waving a flag right now and it's getting completely missed by everything else in life. And they're saying we, we are about to real, like the cat is out of the bag. Have you, have you seen The Social Dilemma on Netflix? Uh, no, I have not. Tell me about it. it. It's really important to watch because it's, it's talking about how our algorithms on social media are leading the discourse of the United States and the world in general into a destructive path. And a lot of the issues that we face are due to this algorithm. There is the idea in artificial intelligence spaces of the paperclip AI problem. If you code a AI and it's intelligent enough that it can do amazing tasks and you tell it to create paperclips, you, you want it to be the most efficient paperclip producer in the world. If it has no other kind of, if it's just meant to do that, it will eventually start transforming matter around it. It'll take all the metal around it and maximize paperclips. It will like, reduce the oxygen in the atmosphere because it can make paper clips faster. It's this kind of issue of, you know, we're dealing with this beast that we don't know is, is there. What the social dilemma showed is that we already have a paperclip AI. It's the Silicon Valley attention, artificial intelligence. All of these websites are designed to keep our attention on, on the, the page for 
for as long as possible to sell us advertisements. And they're getting better every single day. And what keeps us glued to these websites is outrage and, and feeling like outrage, conspiracy, feeling like these people who are your enemies and they're not actually human. And it's getting better and better and better. Our politicians don't know how to deal with this. They don't even know how, to, how email works. They don't know how the internet works. They're, they're way too old. It's already here. And, and this is tying directly into, you need to watch The Social Dilemma because it, it, it's showing how this could end very soon, very soon. And with Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying today, last night, of all nights, it, it changes this so dramatically, I can't even begin to explain it. The yeah, there's, um, there's, it, it was really an experience to see what's going on on Twitter right now. Yes. Um, so my breakdown of the political landscape on Twitter um, is not super politically correct. <laughs> So you might uh, feel free to stand up to me if you disagree. But what I noticed is I saw liberal Republicans and liberal Democrats mourning the life of a great lady who um, ruled on the Supreme Court um, conservatively with a small c, um, meaning that she, she was interpreting the law the way she thought that it actually should be interpreted through the Constitution. Um, she's not an originalist. That's, a, that's a, a, a deeper level of distinction from conservative. But she's not a radical uh, judge, you know, just trying to push through her own agenda using the Supreme Court. Um, she left a legacy of class and grace and dignity. And I saw the best people in both parties expressing that. I should clarify that since Trump took over the GOP, there's fewer and fewer liberal Republicans. Most of them are Democrats at this point, but there are some out there and I follow all of them. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I saw that reaction. At the same time, I saw a lot of Trump voters who are illiberal um, um, and are not conservative, but radical, um, and who do not believe that the Supreme Court should be impartial, but are celebrating the opportunity to put through an ideologue who will be an activist judge um, on behalf of their theocratic agenda. And those people are deplorable. Hillary Clinton was right about them, although it was bad political strategy to say it out loud. Um, and that backfired on her, but it's not because it wasn't true. And I would like to point out that if it hurt their feelings so much, maybe it's because they know it's true. I, I don't know about you, but when someone insults me and I know they're wrong about me, I laugh it off. But if I think they're right, that's when it really hurts. And then the other group I saw were a lot of illiberal Democrats. Um, these people are far left. They're very radical. Um, they are not really, uh, how do I put this? If they're a part of the Democratic Party at all, they actually hate the Democratic Party. They hate the Democratic establishment the same way that Trump voters hate the Republican establishment. Many of them aren't Democrats. These are the people saying, I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden because he's not a communist, right? Mm -hmm. Those people were just as vicious and awful toward her legacy and toward um, the concerns of feminist women on Twitter as Trump voters. I call them Bernie Bolsheviks. I actually coined that. Uh, and so I think that we need to, uh, we need to put things into perspective that um, the job of a judge on the Supreme Court is to rule on the merits of the Constitution, not to push through one radical left or, or radical alt-right political agenda. 
Yeah. And we need to, we need to clearly kind of define how we got here. And again, I'm a little bit of a younger voter. So this is going to be my second election in total that I've had the uh, ability to vote in. You have a lot more perspective into how we kind of wound up in to the conflict we are in right now. Um, but also the perspective of like, we need to, uh, we need to understand this a little more deeply. What's happening on social media right now is directly due to that algorithm I talked about before. Why is it so effective here? It's the issue of Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade is such a, it's like the one thing that is the ultimate divider within this country. And I just want to point out really quick, our intelligence agencies are telling us that Russia is still acting to manipulate our election. So is China. So are many foreign uh, antagonists. We have done nothing to safeguard against this. And when we're seeing the fallout that's happening right now, it's also being augmented by fake accounts, bots, trolls. And they know that this issue specifically is the one that can be the most effective at di dividing us. You know, there was a KGB agent who said, we're, we're going to destroy America without ever having fired a single shot. And I think this is the... This is the moment, man. This is where it either happens or it doesn't. So we let's talk about- Yeah, to be clear, Wade. the KGB agent was saying Russia won't have to fire a shot. Yes, yeah. But there are going to be lots of Americans shooting at each other. But something else I saw on Twitter is people on both sides saying totally outrageous things. Reza Aslan, giant eye roll, saying that if they try to uh, appoint a new- um, um, justice before the election that, quote, we're going to burn the whole thing down, right? That kind of talk only plays into Trump's um, cynical ploy to try to paint Joe Biden as the puppet of a bunch of radicals. Joe Biden is a center-right conservative person. He's also more progressive than Donald Trump. Um, he's both more conservative and more progressive because those are not mutually exclusive terms. Um, to clarify, what I mean by that is he's more conservative than Trump in the sense that he wants to preserve free trade capitalism. He wants to preserve the rule of law. He wants to preserve the Constitution. He wants to preserve democracy. Um, but he's also more progressive than Trump in that he has a more sober realization of aspects of the status quo that need some work and some um, reform. Uh, and his platform is hands down the most progressive platform that has any presidential candidate has run on in my lifetime. And so it's extremely frustrating to see people who are to my left um, doing Trump's bidding and helping him destroy America by uh, shitting all over Joe Biden, just because he's not radical enough for them. Right. And, and again, I view this more and more ever since watching The Social Dilemma as a direct consequence of our inability to, um, one, deal with these problems as they were happening. Uh, the algorithm is very effective at exacerbating this issue because we failed to deal with these issues before. This is also a consequence of a long line of actions in the past, right? People are, I mean, I felt myself last night and this morning being radicalized, thinking more and more about how we wound up right here, right? McConnell in 2016 abdicates, abdicates his duty, his, con his constitutional duty, and says during this election year, seven months before the 2016 election, refused 
to hold a vote on the nominee that Mary and, and and he already said um Ruth Bader Ginsburg's corpse wasn't even cold yet yeah and he was already talking about how they're definitely going to push somebody through in like a month yeah, there was some kind of narrative that I and saw. Talk about hypocrisy, of... because that was the argument he was making. Right. To be clear, to be clear, Mitch McConnell can't do the honest thing and say, we're going to refuse to um, um, confirm um, Obama's appointment on purely political grounds, because the court is supposed to be apolitical. So he had to come up with a bullshit thing, um, excuse about, oh, uh, well, you know, you, you know, there's this unwritten rule that you're not supposed to confirm somebody in an election year mm. well i think everybody knew that he was full of shit when he said that and now he's proven that that is exactly what he was doing he is full of shit this for me is the radicalization factor and it, it happened just a couple days ago on 9-11 I, I i posted the first post i've ever made on the r conservative subreddit and was banned for for saying this because i was like hey listen don't you think it's a little weird that we're continually being told to care about these three thousand american lives that have been lost and yet there's no unifying factor behind the two hundred thousand covid deaths that have occurred currently i'm and and like listen I'm not, I, I was being a little bit inflammatory by saying this because yes, that's a, that's a very deep wound within our country. But listen, I mean, for me, it's like the, the illusion is shattered completely. Listen, we went to war because there was oil in the Middle East. We're not going to war against COVID. There's no profit to be made about it. So stop trying to politicize death for your political gain. And here we are seeing McConnell politicizing our decorum, the actual democracy itself. And it's like, you're going around uh, making fun of kids, giving them the ball and then, you know, like taking the ball away and pushing them. Like we, at a certain point, you have to grow up and realize that the world, we have to have standards and decorum and fashion and, and McConnell's acting like a bully and he's poking a beehive. He is poking a beehive and radicalizing people by smirking and saying, oh, of course, we're going to put someone through here. That's just how politics works. Well, if that's just yeah, how that's politics good... works, what is the response going to be on the left? They're going to add yeah. more seats. They're going to yep. say, listen, we're done playing. We're about to take control because you're messing with it. You, you, you took too much advantage of our goodwill. That's what's about to happen. Yeah. And to be clear, the, I mean, the president can do that. The president can appoint more justices. It doesn't have to be limited to nine. That is what, what, what happened is, uh, and you are um, pretty, pretty young, Seth, but um, this is actually before my time, too. Um, but, you know, there, there was a period where both parties were liberal in the sense of believing in democracy and the rule of law and the Constitution. Um, if you ask the average Trump voter what the word liberal means, they think it means a communist. But, you know, go look it up in an encyclopedia. Liberalism, by definition, is pro-capitalism. Um, Joe Biden is actually to the right of Trump on free trade. Um, so what, when, when both parties were liberal, they were respectful of things like the separation of powers and the fact that the Supreme Court is supposed to be neutral. Um, that doesn't mean, of course, that justices always agree with each other. Uh, Republicans were appointing originalists and Democrats were appointing judges who are not originalists, but who still nevertheless had a conservative um, a political bent toward the documents. They just interpreted its role historically differently. Um, that is a very minor distinction, as opposed to, um, you know, the people that Trump's appointing are really not qualified um, and they're ideologues. I mean, he's, he's appointing people um, at uh, circuit courts who um, couldn't pass the bar exam. 
I mean, he, this, is, this is what happens in populism. Populism, I mean, there's a reason why elites should be in power, frankly, and should, and because they know what they're doing. They're experts by definition. If you're uh, anti-elite, then that means you're anti-intellectual. Um, and the average voter couldn't tell you who the vice president is. So why, do we, why should we delude ourselves into thinking that the average voter knows the first thing about how the Supreme Court is supposed to work? Well, ironically, though, I mean, that's the, that's the argument against what's uh, tyranny of the majority, which, which is something that our founders were worried about, right? They, they set the, our democracy up very specifically to protect against that, yeah. Right. We, we find ourselves in this position where Republicans have only won one of the last seven popular vote counts, and they're about to have six out of the nine Supreme Court seats. So, yep. you know, I mean, it certainly... And that wouldn't be a problem if they were appointing, you know, like, I'm, to be clear, I'm not worried about Justice Thomas. I'm worried about Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, not because Trump is a Republican, but because he's a radical and because he's not appointing real qualified justices who are going to soberly um, interpret the Constitution. Uh, that's the problem. That's the problem. Um, it, you should not be voting for a president just because you want um, activist judges um, pushing through your own, your own agenda. You know, there, there are Supreme Court decisions that the far left disagrees with, right? Like uh, Citizens United, for example. And then there are Supreme Court decisions that, um, you know, the Christian right doesn't like, like Roe v. Wade. That's what happens in real life, right? The um, judge isn't always going to rule the way you want them to rule. Unfortunately, so I've done the best that I can to try throughout my life to avoid the abortion discussion, but it, that's unavoidable today. Um, and it, is it correct in my understanding that really after Roe versus Wade, the conservative party, the, the grand old party, became very hellbent on reversing the trend within the Supreme Court? Was Roe versus Wade the first time that the Supreme Court had really been, I guess, quote unquote, politicized? No, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, there's always been a tension there. But the, the moment we're living through right now where the parties um, refuse to work together at all and where everything, including the Justice Department and the Attorney General is, is treated like an arm of one of the political parties. Um, we haven't seen something that bad since Civil War times, basically. People are genuinely worried that we might have a little mini city war, uh, Civil War breakout. It, won't go, it can't go all the way um, because you know you, <laughs> you you can't stand up to uh, the modern United States government. Um, that's not a viable option. But what you can you could see is a lot of political terrorism with people, you know, uh, Trump voters shooting liberals and um, that sort of thing. Uh, and that is a real thing to worry about. The the tragedy that I see in this is. Roe versus Wade was politicized so drastically and, and Democrats failed on the messaging. I have, I've hit them on this so many times before and I will continue to hit them on this so many times in the future. We failed the messaging of why, like, listen, I am very unhappy about 850,000 abortions a year, but I am pro Roe versus Wade because we have to, we can all get together under the same banner of minimizing abortions. We can invest in 
new contraceptive technologies. And we can also remove economic barriers involved with having children. The, the problem with Roe versus Wade is that it's so effectively used to dehumanize the opposition. If you believe your opposition is hellbent on killing innocent babies, innocent lives, of course it is going to be a dramatic, like a very big incentive to vote Republican. Just before, earlier in the day, yesterday, I was hearing NPR discuss with Catholic voters why even though Biden is a Catholic, they're choosing Trump because of the sole issue of abortion. Now, the Democrats and the messaging just seems to have fallen on, well, either you're pro-life or, you know, like, my body, my choice, right? That's the wrong messaging to do. The correct messaging should have been from the start, listen, no one wants more abortions. Let's do what we can to minimize abortions. And if you really want to say that you're a pro-life individual, then why does that life stop mattering the moment after it leaves the womb? You know, we have 11 million children living in poverty today. That's a one in six chance. You're playing a lottery. You get a one in six chance of of being born into an impoverished family in this country, right? The moment they leave the womb, they're a parasite. They're a drain on society. We have 200,000 people dead from COVID. And you want to tell me that you're pro-life. You want to yeah, tell me. Yeah. And you just said why as um, a liberal conservative slash ex-Republican, um, I guess I would call myself a conservative Democrat now. Um, that's the reason why I support um, abortion rights. It's actually because I am worried about the fact that there is too much poverty in the country um, and that when people who are trapped in poverty have children, it perpetuates poverty. Um, it, it's like, however you look at the data, it's absolutely undeniable that having legal abortion reduces poverty and it reduces crime. Yeah, and you want to think uh, and that it does it it does it in a way that saves the state money instead of costing the state money. Right? Because if you have to put more people in jail, that costs taxpayers money. If you have to put more kids on welfare and food stamps, that costs taxpayers money. Um, Donald Trump's movement is not fiscally conservative. It's a radical anti-American theocratic movement. Yep. Um, the our very it's a violation of our very first amendment their entire view on government. Um, and the, the, the Democratic Party needs to start calling them out for that. They need yeah. to stop letting Republicans claim the mantle of conservatism. Because frankly, at this point, the Democratic establishment are the new conservatives. And it's so gross because like you want me to believe that banning, uh, you know, overturning Roe versus Wade is going to stop wealthy politicians from crossing state lines or crossing national lines to pay off their their mistresses abortions how, how many how many times have trump's mistresses had abortions do you think seriously right right exactly they'll never believe it the right will never believe it it's, it's all fake news but i guarantee they wouldn't care whether they believe it or not honestly when they say fake news what that means it doesn't mean i don't believe it it means this doesn't support my religious devotion to a political ideology Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. This guy gave in non-disclosure agreements to his own family members. He lives and breathes NDAs. I guarantee you there in the thousands of NDAs that he has, there's one of a mistress who had an abortion. She got a nice payout. She can't talk about it. And she's at like, least one. And he probably strong armed her into it. Right. She's, she's strong on into it. She got the money. She got the payout. It's an awful thing to happen. But they're out there. I guarantee that they're out there. And uh, any, anybody, anybody who thinks that we're like just shitting on Trump and 
you know, because like there's no real evidence of that. What an allegation. I mean, I'm just saying like, look, are you a good judge of character or not? Think about this man and the life he's led. What do you think the most likely thing is? What would you bet your house on? I would bet my house that he's had at least one mistress have an abortion. And let's look. I'd yeah. be shocked if it's not the case. Let's expand our view into the swamp a little bit here. John Boehner. Let's look at John Boehner for a second, the last uh, Speaker of the House during the Obama administration. He spent decades of his life ensuring that cannabis was illegal and millions of black lives and families were completely destroyed by the war on drugs. The moment he gets out of office, he joins a cannabis industry board. And he's now making millions of dollars off of an industry that was designed to throw people in jail, predominantly black people in jail. So the hypocrisy of this party, if, like, that's what kills me the most. It's a theocratic movement that, that runs on the idea of a moral compass, that runs on the idea of righteousness and justice, but, but their actions beyond those words, their actions are the furthest thing away from it. And, but, and I, right, but their conception of morality is whatever God says is good, right? Yeah. They, you know, th there's, there's a theological debate that's been ongoing for a long time. And within Catholicism, which is frankly has a more intellectually robust tradition, um, there have been uh, movements where they argued that um, God decrees something because it's good. It's not good because God decrees it. But the, uh, no, I meant, by the way, not all, um, Catholics agree with that, but there have been branches of Catholicism that agree with that. Um, and there are um, Protestant denominations that agree with that too. But Trump's voters are Orwellian people who want to live in a cosmic dictatorship ruled by a tyrannical God. And if whatever he says goes, I mean, if, if, if he told them that they should start aborting all their babies, then suddenly aborting all the babies would be morally good. Um, that's how, uh, frankly, ethically bankrupt their worldview is. It's, yeah. And, and, and that's where I converge back on seeing how close we are to un, un, unboxing this technological genie in a box and realizing that the power structure that exists when that happens will have total and absolute control to shape reality in the future to their whim. That's, that's how I sound like a nutcase when I say this, but genuinely, I, 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 the, the dire nature of where we find ourselves in right now cannot be overstated. Uh, I'm a little freaked out by everything, but let's, all right, let me bring us back down to earth really quick. Let me bring myself back down to earth. Roe versus Wade, it can be politicized. It can be weaponized so easily. It's the one thing that we, f we could not have failed to, to fail on the messaging of, and we did, H how do we get through this? One, it sounds like currently today, what's happened? McConnell has said that they're going to go ahead and do the vote. It seems like Trump is going to pu push through the nominee. There was the question of whether or not it would be better politically for Trump to push the nominee through uh, or wait until after the election to give an extra incentive to his voters to show up. It, it seems like it's going to happen before the election. Am, am I correct in that? Oh, yeah, very likely. I mean, the, uh, Mitt Romney and two other Republicans in the Senate um, had previously committed uh, in, in public statements when asked to not confirm a justice in 2020. Um, so if one additional, so if those three Republicans stick to their word, and 
I suspect Romney will because he he proved that he did put country before party when he supported the removal of Trump on the grounds that he's a traitor. Um, so if one other Republican um, on the Senate does such, um, then it's, this this uh, nominee will not be confirmed. Um, and a, and a lot of um, <laughs> well, a lot of Democrats ordinarily would vote with uh, the with the Republicans to confirm a justice because many of them still actually believe that it should be an apolitical process. Um, but under these circumstances, I highly doubt that any of them will. So it's, it's going to be a fight for them to try to push it through beforehand. And how do you think voters would react to the Republicans doing so or not doing so? Which do you actually think is more in the interest of, of Republicans in the Senate? Because part of me thinks that having the court on the ballot would actually benefit Republicans in the Senate more and doing this obviously political and hip hypocritical thing before the election might just um, motivate uh, liberal Democrats to turn out in massive numbers. So it might actually backfire on them. You know, it, this is really hard to answer and we don't have the time to, I think, get a, a really solid and coherent one. I've also heard that there's the possibility that um, the Arizona races, but since that was a special election, John McCain's seat after November 3rd, he can basically be sworn in immediately. Uh, so he, that's the point of saying, listen, let's say that they don't have it on the ballot. The nomination's not on the ballot. Afterwards, though, what happens afterwards? There's a lame duck session. Let's say Biden wins. Lame duck session. Uh, do, do these candidates who did vote no earlier say, well, I'm out of a job anyways, and then vote them in, right? They have the capacity to do that. What would that mean? 70% of the country is in favor of Roe versus Wade. If, if, if that statistic is correct that I've seen flying around online, I hope that it is. Yeah, um, no, it is, it is correct. There's a lot of disagreement within that 70% because there, that includes people who say, I'm personally morally against abortion, but I think that the government shouldn't take a position on it. Um, so that is a huge distinction. Um, but it, that, that, that is correct. That is, it, most Americans agree with the Supreme Court's decision on that. But to be clear, again, that actually shouldn't matter. <laughs> it's, it's the, the judges aren't supposed to be making these decisions based on public opinion. Yeah. In an ideal world, that would be where we are. And, and it should be noted at this point that even Kavanaugh and Gorsuch have not voted in the manner that we that, that a lot of people said that they feared they would vote. Um, and it's possible that that it's being overblown. It's not good, but it could be overblown, the drastic nature of, of what's happening right now, that you could get someone in who actually, I don't know though, right? Who, who are some of the people that no Trump has nominated? Tom Cotton? Tom Cotton just said that slavery was a necessary evil. And then he goes, he comes out and tries to say, oh, the, the liberal Democrats are trying to make me sound, uh, say, said things that I didn't say because he thinks that he's saying slavery is a necessary evil instead of was a necessary evil. No, you, you seem to believe, Tom Cotton, that it was a necessary evil to have slavery for a hundred years, something that totally dismantled our ability to innovate within agriculture because you had a monopoly on labor. It wasn't until slavery ended that our country actually was able to industrialize because with more freedom comes more innovation. I know I don't have to tell you that, but right, somehow that's slavery. He's a nominee. Ted Cruz is a nominee. Like these, these are awful, awful 
things. And it's very possible that if they vote this in before the election, there's not going to be any hearings. They're like, they, they, they could just push this through immediately. I think I am settling on the idea that it would be more of a benefit for them to wait until after the election. So it seems a bit weird that they wouldn't. Um, I think it's because, I, I mean, honestly, it's this, for the same reason that Republicans in Congress, apart from Mitt Romney and a handful of others, um, are totally fine with uh, Russia influencing our election and, and, and actually committing crimes against the, the country, including hacking our actual voting system itself, which people forget that they did. They're okay with that because they believe it benefits them politically. Um, and that is the problem with that mm -hmm. kind of toxicity. And to be clear, you see that sort of toxicity on the radical left too. There are people who believe that we should just have one party rule, that you should never have to compromise with the other side. They're just deeply, deeply unreasonable people. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think it, it would be a wiser political strategy for them not to do it unless they're convinced that they're going to lose massively no matter what in which case they're then mo they're motivated to try to you know to claim as much power as they possibly can before the election yeah yeah people my age um we had to learn really about how crazy of a year 2000 was the the supreme court is the tie uh, the tiebreaker when an election is is thrown in the air so we're already dealing with this massive uncertainty about the stability and integrity of our election and then you get a possible supreme court majority with the ability to to decide essentially the legality of of any kind of issues that will and and very likely are going to come up this election cycle and and <laughs> the, going back to when you're right, saying yeah, about exactly. the Russians, if, it, if it comes down to the supreme court right now then that's 5-3 um, Republican appointees. But again, let's be, let's be clear. Only two of them were appointed by somebody who had no business being president. Um, because like there's Chief, still the Chief idea Justice that... Roberts probably will do the right thing. Um, I, th I think that uh, Alito and Thomas will do what they believe is the right thing. Um, the danger there is that some of those people, um, people the, a lot of Republican voters are like this too. They would not support Trump if they actually knew just how dangerous and radical and what an existential threat he is to our liberties, but they just don't recognize it. They don't see it. So that would be my fear. It's not that I'm worried that, you know, Roberts and Alito and, and Thomas are, are, are going to be ideologues um, using the court for their own political gain. I'm not worried about that, but I'm worried that some of them, uh, particularly Thomas, might uh, not underestimate the threat that giving Trump another four years poses to our republic. Yeah, yeah, we, I don't see us making it through another four years of Trump. And I know that I've said that before, but with every single passing day, it becomes more apparent. Like, let's just acknowledge really quick that there is the non-zero reality that Russia in, our, our intelligence agencies have come out and said that Russia acted in Trump's behalf on the 2016 election. You remove that, out of the equation, it's very possible that we did not elect Trump because of that. So, so these justices that are on the chairs today and the future justice that is about to be on the Supreme Court are, are essentially only there because of Russia. Like that is, that is quite 
certainly a possibility. I feel yeah, like no, to be to... clear, well, let, let me let me push back on that slightly, Seth, only because mm. I don't want to overstate her case and sound like tinfoil hat wearing people. Not that I think you sound like one, but I just want to clarify here. Um, what our intelligence agency said is that Russia tried to hack our system, that they did hack into some of our voting systems. They attempted to manip manipulate votes, and it appears that they did manipulate votes in some places. Their strategy was to try to tweak just enough votes in a few swing districts to turn the electoral college in Trump's favor. Um, but it appears that they did not succeed at doing that. So Trump was genuinely elected, um, but that doesn't change the fact that we were nevertheless attacked by Russia um, and that they are definitely going to try it again. And this time they might succeed, especially since they now have, you know, the political party that controls the White House and Congress on their side. They are taking the side of our foreign adversary against our democracy. Sorry, yeah, no, you're, you're completely right. When it comes down to the um, actual uh, tangible votes that were cast, yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to say they, they, they hacked us in that manner, but I think the more troubling aspect- Well, they aspect, did, they just didn't succeed at it, fortunately. <laughs> right, I, I think the more troubling aspect to all of this is the manipulation that occurs on a, um, to, to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound like Corey really quick, to the gestalt of the United States, which is, you know, Cambridge Analytica. Um, I was just listening to a very in-depth discussion about the importance of a secure private cryptocurrency. And the person said, listen, here in Silicon Valley, we thought once the news came out about Cambridge Analytica and the, the, the manipulation on a mass degree of uh, vulnerable voters and people who are more susceptible to misinformation, we, we thought once that information came out that everyone was going to delete their Facebook accounts and, and there was going to be this, this massive upheaval when it comes to how we treat this technology that we all exist in, and now that we're all working from home, that we basically live in, this is open to manipulation from foreign actors, and it's happening right now. I saw it happen yesterday after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, and someone was saying, oh, you know, all of these babies are crying out in joy because they'll no longer be dead, and someone kind of came back and said, hey, I, that's, that's a pretty... That's a pretty bad take. Here's why. And the person said, well, you need to shut your legs before you have sex, you know, and it, like this, this was obviously a bot, but it just inflamed everything in an instant because it's designed to one, make people not want to vote when you're just so absolutely upset. It's designed to radicalize people and it's designed to destroy us to absolutely destroy us, to keep us from unifying. The number one thing that we need right now is a unifier. And Trump is not trying to unify us. His attorney general is not trying to unify us. The social media platforms that we are engaging in today have a financial incentive to not unify us. Everything is stacked against our favor right now. And that's a terrifying thing to, to admit. Yeah, that, that's, that's true. Um, but again, I, I, this is why I think it's so important that we keep reminding ourselves that in the end, this is up to us. You know, it really frustrates me when I see people saying things like, oh, our democracy is already a banana republic. It's already not a real democracy. But what they're doing is they're recognizing that there are problems with the system. There is need for democratic reform of the sort that Andrew Yang and Joe Biden supports. Joe Biden supports democracy dollars, you guys. Like, you should be voting for him for that reason alone. Like, do we want our society to remain a democracy or not? And you are only going to increase the odds that we lose our democracy if you go around, you know, just 
like a nihilist saying, oh, it doesn't matter. We already lost it anyway. That's not true. That's not true. You, you like, <laughs> especially coming from lefties, for goodness sake, what do they think is going to happen to the minimum wage, to social security, to Medicare, to welfare, to food stamps when we lose our democracy? Do you think for a second that the... Um, the wealthy, powerful people in this country do that because it's out of the kindness of their heart. Some of them, some of them, but mainly it's done because we do have a real democracy. We have a situation, frankly, most Republican voters like those programs too, especially Social Security and Medicare, but they're going to lose it also. You know, like Trump's voters are on average less educated and less wealthy than liberal Republicans who are now moving to the Democratic Party. It used to be that white voter, well, college educated whites and affluent suburbs were a very solid, reliable demographic for Republicans, and it's not anymore. It's now a bunch of um, white working class people in the middle of the country um, who think that Trump is going to save their jobs. Um, that's not an, a right wing policy please, big government, intervene in the market to save my job? Really? Right? These people love all of this stuff. Many of them are on welfare. Um, red, red states in the middle of the country actually take uh, more in federal benefits than they contribute in federal taxes. So they are literally economic drains on the economy right now. What do they think is going to happen to all those programs when they lose the ability to influence politicians in their own party. Do you think, do they really think Trump cares about them? He looks down on them like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I hate to bring this up. And he actually tried to take away their guns too. The only thing that stopped them was that he was worried about losing their votes. That happened. Yeah. Yeah. I, there, there are so many different comments that I, I would prefer to probably bring up and thank people for engaging in my YouTube channel. But I just saw someone say, I'm not voting for Joe. The reason why I'm not voting for Joe is because it does not matter. Joe is the same as Trump. Now, there's two things that could be happening here. One, John, you could be a, a, a bot. You, you could. I don't think you are. I, I think that you are the victim of a manipulation campaign designed to make you think that very thing. Voter apathy has been detailed and outlined by the Russian government as the goal, as the sole goal of how they will disrupt and dissolve the United States of America. Voter apathy. When you do not care, when you feel like your vote does not matter, which I, I think a lot of people have very good reasons for believing so. We live in a society that represents the values of the wealthiest of us, the aristocrats. It is a bit of a despair. I understand that. But the apathy is the goal of our enemies. We have to understand that and we have to respond accordingly. You need to go and vote. You need yeah, to. Yeah, Seth, you, you, you were much nicer about that than I would be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I will say this, though. Let's not overstate that. We actually don't yet live in a society that's only looking out for the interests of rich people. If we did, Social Security would not exist at all. Medicare would not exist at all. Welfare and food stamps would not exist at all, right? All of those things are going to go away if we lose the ability to influence our politicians. And Joe Biden is running on uh, essentially Medicare for all. He's running, it's not a single payer system that outlaws private insurance, but he's running on a Medicare-like public option for everybody. Um, if you think that's the same thing as wanting to do away with the Affordable Care Act and not replace it with anything, you're not really thinking about it, right? Mm. Again, Trump is trying to destroy our democracy. Trump, um, Joe Biden supports democracy dollars, which would solve the very problem 
that this guy's worried about, about money, influence, and politics. The only thing stopping us from succeeding at that is people like, like our friend there. And I need to vote. Listen, I've had to come to terms with my, I, I didn't vote in 2016 after Bernie didn't make it. And now I'm coming to the realization that Trump knew the severity of COVID-19 a few days later after he admits the severity and contagiousness of COVID-19, he comes out and will, like, says to everybody, just treat it like the flu. Just treat it like the flu. And people died because of that. People Right, exactly. Whereas Joe Biden would listen to experts and actually do something. There, apparently there was a there was an actual there was a meeting where but the Trump administration decided that they were intentionally not going to do anything about it at the federal level based on this reasoning that it was a problem that was going to impact densely populated areas which means cities which tend to vote democrat and that's why they weren't going to stop it right now apart from just being deeply evil and fucking genocidal um, that's also stupid because people from cities get sick and then they visit rural areas to visit family or friends or to go on vacation and they infect other people, right? So the way to stop a pandemic is to do something about it, to decide not to do something about it because you think that miraculously it's going to stop at the borders of cities is both evil and stupid. There's no way Joe Biden would have handled it that way. No way. And so, I, but I have to come to terms with the fact that I, I'm, com, I'm complicit in, in some of those deaths. And like, you, you can't fall into like guilt and, and like, this isn't, this is, that's not the purpose of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I, I kind of bought into the idea of accelerationism, like, oh man, Trump's going to be president. That's crazy. Well, our society's so screwed anyways, it couldn't get much worse. And if it does, then that's just more of a reason to change, right? That's kind of the narrative that was going on. No, accelerationism might not go into like the way that you think it will. Accelerationism might mean 70,000 extra deaths that never would have happened under the system as it existed that day. It could be a very long and slow process. A, like you just could go into that. I was naive, right? That's what I've come to realize is, is I had this naive understanding. You get of so world. much credit for recognizing that. That's, that's amazing, right? Yeah. I mean, like, that's all I'm asking, right? I don't hold it against people for making mistakes in the past, as long as they learn from them, you right. know, and I've made mistakes. I'm not perfect. You know what I mean? I had, for one thing, I supported the Republican party when they were cynically using the Southern strategy to convince a bunch of racist white working class people to vote for economically right-wing policy, policy that I like, right? That was a pact with the devil that I should not have been part of. Yeah. We all need to own our own mistakes. But we don't have any kind of system that, that allows us to, and we're actively engaging in a system that, that continues to radicalize people. And, and like, that's the thing. How, Every time that I try and bring up these things that I'm thinking about, the hypocrisy of Mitch McConnell, the, the theocratic intentions of the government where it exists now, it's like shame is the first tool to go to of like, don't you see that, that your vote is actively killing people? Don't you see that suffering is the result of, they don't, one, that's just not an effective tool of changing people's minds. And two, I don't know, it feels like that's the only, the only tool that I have in my disposal, right? Um, man, this is just well. There, I mean, we we there is we we have another one, which is we can keep pointing out the very important differences between Biden and Trump. I mean, look, I understand Joe Biden wasn't my first choice for the nominee either. You and I both backed Yang. We worked our asses off for Yang, and he did much better than most of us expected, frankly. Right? Because it was a he's a newcomer to politics. 
he didn't lose because the evil DNC kept him out. He lost because it was his first time. Honestly, I'm shocked he made it as far as he did. Um, you know, but like voting, writing in Yang or voting for the Green Party or the Libertarian Party, right? That is the, liber the literal equivalent of like if you were betting on a boxing match and you put all your money on somebody who was eliminated in the last round. Yeah. You know, these are the two finalists. These are our choices. We have to choose between them. And then, you know, four years from now, we can go through another primary process. If we can keep our democracy alive, the left is going to get what they want. Um, and even though I disagree with them on a lot of things, I'm shouting from the rooftops that it's in their interest to vote for Biden because it is because I would rather have to pay a little bit more in taxes and still live in a democracy. You know, like if we lose our democracy, what's to stop the government from raising our taxes to 50% and, the, and do, doing away with, with Medicare? Like the real outcome of, of accelerationism in the 21st century is a militarized dictatorship with tanks rolling over protesters in the streets. That's what always happens, always. Unfortunately, it's, it's even more severe than that because you know, I, I mentioned the paperclip AI. I mentioned the attention AI that we're dealing with right now. Um, you could you could wind up in a situation where it's now a dictatorship that's enhanced by the by technology that is so powerful that its abilities are um, the most terrifying thing that a human could possibly imagine. Right, right now you could ask this thing to say, I, I want you to maximize uh, attention to such a degree that you're, you're hooked up to it and it presents you something and you say, I like that. And it presents you something you says, I don't like that. And it's just continually getting better and better and better. And all of us slowly get sucked in and absorbed into a virtual existence that we have no control over whatsoever. And we're continually monitored by by surveillance capitalism. We have no autonomy within that. And we become slaves to a technocratic system under the hands of Trump, who does not understand technology. Um, you, you do not- Not only does he not understand technology, but look at the way he ran his businesses, yeah. right? So let's be really clear about this. He would do things like persuade a bunch of investors to put up a bunch of their money right? Saying he's going to put up a bunch of his own money, which he didn't, which then he doesn't do, right? Um, build a casino. It bankrupts. Think about how stupid you have to be to lose as a casino. Casino goes bankrupt. He passes all of the financial responsibility onto the investors, has the project declare bankruptcy so their investors lose everything. And he refuses to pay contractors, working class men and women, who built those casinos. This happened multiple times. But before he does all that, the, why did the casino go bankrupt? In part, because he gives himself an astronomical salary and bonuses that are not justified by the performance of the business. Takes a bunch of the investor money for himself, leaves them with the bill. This is why American banks won't loan him money anymore. Trump has nothing but disdain for the working class of this country. He is He does not care about them at all all, not even a little bit, not even a little bit. Whereas Joe Biden, you know, like I get it, you know, he's not a communist, so boo-hoo. Um, he is not a jackass like Trump. Look into it. 
maybe you guys think he's rich because he's got a couple million dollars or whatever. That's nothing. Frankly, that makes you middle class nowadays. Yep. If he had wanted to sell out and, and have hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, look into what it costs to live in freaking Washington, D.C. Two million dollars doesn't go very far. All right. We need when the working class and the middle class are at war with each other, the evil, uber rich assholes like Trump win and we all lose. Yeah, and the stakes are higher than they've ever been before. Really, I, I cannot impress this enough. You, you, you do not have the option to not go and vote this year. It, you will be complicit in the destruction of everything that we hold dear by not, and like, I would not have said this a year ago. I swear to you, I know how I sound. But you need to recognize that you're being manipulated by a known tactic. Yeah, no, you're enemies. a corporate sellout now, Seth. Show us the money, man. We know, like Soros, George Soros is signing your checks, isn't he? Yeah, like, absolutely. I'm, I'm a part of the. I'm a, <laughs> and that. Come on, I, I have faith that people are intellectually capable of recognizing this. They, they have the cards stacked against them. If you don't believe me, go watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix right now and, and just recognize that you're being played. You are being played and you're being played by making you feel like you're being played. It's, it's, it's all metacognition stuff. You have the ability to break free Can of these Can you elaborate systems. on that psychological point? Because it sounds profound. I think it went over my head. Yeah, it's, it's that... I'm going to try and explain this in the way that it was presented to me in one of my favorite video games. Uh, you're, it's like I'm a Cold gamer too, too, by the way. I might notice I've got a shit ton of vintage video games back there. So Dude, we're both big nerds. Awesome. I'll, I'll get into that in a different episode for sure. But uh, did, have you ever played Metal Gear Solid? Yeah, I played, I think it was the first one on PlayStation way back in the day. It has some really, a lot of people like to make fun of it because it's, uh, I don't know, the, the context, the context is made bare, the subtext is made bare. Basically, at the end of the game, you, you are fighting in the Cold War, there's a whole bunch of AI and machinery, all wars are proxy wars, you get to the, like the final boss, and there's no final boss. The, the, the room is empty, nothing exists in the room, there's no people pressing any buttons, it's just an artificial intelligence with the sole mandate to maximize the profit of war. And so people aren't being controlled by anyone. It's, it's like a mindless zombie is controlling society. So yeah, no, when, that's like a, that was kind of foreshadowing the uh, social media algorithms, it seems. 100%. And he made this a long time ago. He, he foresaw a whole bunch of this coming, Hideo Kojima. So when what, I'm, a, what a perfect example of the fact that video games can be fine art. Yes. Uh, like I, I have an art collection and video, and my, my, my vintage video game collection is part of it as far as I'm concerned. My wife went to USC film school for her master's um, and we've decided we're going to leave our media collection to USC. Because <laughs> they, awesome. have, they have the collection. You can go see like all like the original, you know, like Ataris in their boxes and everything. It's pretty damn cool. And, and they, they make use of it because it's, they study like it's actual scholars studying the, um, the history of video games as a popular art form. Yeah, I really do think that it's stigmatized in society and it's poked fun at, but but it really does have some profound, I mean, I learned to read because of video games. So you have this mindless zombie AI that has just completely taken over. It's removed all the human inputs that would uh, 
you know, it, make it impossible for it to achieve its mandate, which is to maximize profit, that, that mindless zombie AI right now currently exists on social media in the form of, of maximizing your attention. And one of the best ways to do so is to make you feel like intellectually empowered and make you feel like, oh, you're being lied to constantly all the time. And the more that you look at this page, the more truth you're going to get. You're going to be rewarded in a dopamine way. Like your dopamine receptor is going to go off every time you, you validate this idea that you're being lied to. And that keeps you on the website. Now, the algorithm's goal isn't to make it's, you- It's kind of like the matrix too, where they're sort of the, just like cooking us up to the machines and like profiting off of our energy. Right. That, that's exactly correct. And I always thought it was a little silly that, you know, we were batteries for this thing. It doesn't actually need us. In this way, it doesn't, it, the, the, the stock market needs us. The stock market needs us to keep looking at the, um, the web pages. It's not designed to make yeah, you- Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. Um, uh, yes, elites have figured out a way to profit off of you, even if you don't have money to spend. Think about yes. that for a second. Right. Historically, you know, like uh, Ford wa wanted to sell his cars as, cars as inexpensively as possible because he recognized if his own workers could afford to buy his cars, he would make more money. They don't even need you to do that anymore. Now they just need you to click on something on Facebook and they're making money on that. Yes. Yes. That's a hundred percent correct. Some people, when I bring up like the data dividend or something, they're like, oh, well, you have the option of, of um, not not using the platform. One, you don't, not in today's day and age. And two, someone said, well, they don't make any money off of you if you're not employed. Because I was trying to bring up the point that everyone is an economic actor that that is pushing the stock market higher and higher, but very few of the proportion of that activity is actually being compensated like you would expect in an actual market that rewards labor. It's not happening. It's a full kleptocracy. It's a full kleptocracy where they're stealing all of it. They're taking. Yeah, it's the not full yet, everything. but it's getting there. It's we're on our way in that direction. And to be clear, kleptocracy is as uh, anathema to capitalism as communism is. In the case of communism, the government owns business. And in the case of kleptocracy, business owns the state. They both merge into one unit, which is, goes against capitalism. Capitalism is something that came out of the Enlightenment. It was a liberal idea. And the whole point was to decentralize power so that it's not all in one place, right? right. When, when it all goes in one place, whether it's on the communist model or the kleptocratic model, that means absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yes, 100%. And, and we're now giving control over that centralization to an AI, essentially. It's no longer going to be human controlled. Uh, this is part of the reason why Yang was extremely prescient and, and continues to be with his data privacy bill that he's pushing forward. This is your economic resource. This is your attention that they are mining. They are mining your brain like a gold mine. They are taking the resources out and selling it and they aren't giving you a dime. And it's destroying our society because the end goal, like it's not designed. This is the, this is the misconception. It's not designed for misinformation. Misinformation is the perpetual like function of how to maximize the profit. It is the it will always be the end goal. And as such, we will never be able to unify as long as we exist yeah. within that space. And, because and, and there's personal responsibility for regular people there too, right? The only reason that YouTube makes money off of spreading idiotic ideas like flat earth 
is because there are enough idiots out there who want that misinformation fed to them because they find it entertaining. Because it gives their life meaning. It makes them feel like, oh, I've got one up on the elites. They think, they think that they have me fooled, but boy golly, I know the earth is flat. Okay, I'm gonna let you in on a secret. Elites are, but not with that one. That's just, you know, the earth is round. This is the problem right? though. Like, <laughs> but I, if you think if you think that you've seen through, you think you've seen through it and you've seen behind the veil and, and you've found the wizard, um, then you're not gonna notice the the real deception. This is the problem though. I, I think you're giving too much um you're you're giving people too much power within this because you have to understand the AI is getting better every day and it's already better than the human's ability to, to combat it. Like the cards are so- Oh yeah, no, that's a good point, Seth. I, I'm gonna give you that one, right? I'm gonna give you that one. Uh, there is some truth to that because, you know, I, I'm a decent chess player. There's no way I could be uh, a, even a mediocre artificial intelligence, right? When you play against a computer, you're playing against a version of it that's intentionally dumbed down so that you have a prayer, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's right. a, you know, like, uh, so, you know, even just a mediocre chess artificial intelligence system, you know, there's no way I would have a chance against it. And so, you know, even if you are well above average uh, intelligence, you're really informed, you're really good at critical thinking, you're good at looking into whether or not the facts are true or not. Um, the algorithm is just smarter than you. It, it can process data faster than you and it's going to have one up over on you. Like, I'm not deluding myself. I don't think that I can see through everything that happens um, because of the algorithm either. It just happened to me, and this is where we're going to tie this right back into the core discussion. And I'm, I'm glad I kind of got this in there and, and was able to flesh this out. Just yesterday, I'm, I'm feeling just despair at everything that's happened. Oh, this is awful. I'm, I'm getting angry at the hypocrisy of McConnell. And I make a comment on Twitter expressing my anger that McConnell's doing this and that, you know, he's inviting future conflict by abusing congressional decorum in the way that he is and someone comes back and says oh well it's different now because um the senate and the white house are owned by the same party they're uh, so so it's different i said listen that is not the reasoning that he gave back in 2016 um that's not in our constitution the no, man and that argument let's be clear that argument is is deeply deeply anti-american yes yeah. right which is the reason mcconnell didn't make it there's a reason why he didn't say that because it's terrible it's horrible right that that is just fully acknowledging and embracing the fact that you think that our courts should be politicized yes yeah and that's and, about as that's about as un-american as you can possibly be and keep in mind a lot of these people proudly wave the confederate flag which is a literal symbol of violent revolution against the united states of america yeah it's traitors yeah it, they're traitors they yeah. are traitors and and so like, yeah, that's the thing, right? Um, the, the Senate has a constitutional mandate to vote on a nominee. McConnell abdicated that. He's the one who's going against the Constitution. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say that the Senate and the White House have the mandate only if they're in the same party on an election year. Like, that, that is totally <laughs> right, because made up. It, because it's, it's not supposed to be a political thing. Yes. It's not. And it, until very recently, it wasn't. I mean, look at the actual makeup of, of the court right now, right? We've got people appointed by Bush. Clinton and Obama are far more liberal in the sense of being in favor of democracy and the rule of law and the separation of powers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and the constitution, which is the whole point of the Supreme Court, okay? Whether you agree with their politics or not, those three people, they are people who believed in the system, 
Trump does not believe in the system. He wants to turn us into a banana republic dictatorship like Russia, where you are a democracy in name only. And he's not doing it because he wants to stand up for the little guy. He's doing it because he is scared of the little guy and he wants to manipulate them one last time to get one over on them. And then he will be coming for your guns and your money. Believe me. Yeah. And yeah. And so, so we're having that back and forth really quick. And, and I, I, I kind of point out my frustration at the inanity of what he's trying to say and, and how he's defending this. And he basically says, you're letting the emotions get the better of you. And I sit back for a moment and I, I, I know everything that we've been talking about. I know that in an emotional response is not only the outcome that the algorithm wants, it's the outcome that disinformation campaigns want. When you are emotionally impacted by something, it makes you more likely to be radicalized. That's why the Russians, with they, they used a whole bunch of memes directed at conservatives that really played off of this idea of like black sexuality, like they're, they're just better in bed than you are. And it was directed directly at conservative white people who are insecure. That's just a part of, of who they are. The it, incel movement is really funny. It actually started with a, uh, a French social critic named Michel Hollebeck, who was making explicitly Marxist arguments. He talked about uh, the, the sexual proletariat um, and how that, you know, when back when marriage was, was, was just between one man and one woman, statistically, you were guaranteed to be able to find yourself a lady. But now in this evil meritocratic free sexual marketplace where there's polyamory and same-sex marriage and people who decide not to get married and all that, all that awful stuff, now the poor sexual proletariat are left, left out and they can't compete. It's, it's, it's quite astounding. He talks about the commodification of bodies. It, think about the irony of that, that these people think of themselves as against identity politics and neo-Marxism, and they're fucking swimming in it. They just, yeah. They're just too ignorant about the intellectual foundations of their own worldview to see it. Gosh, and it's such an issue because, again, this is something that it's, it's so ingrained within our DNA. It's hard not to knee-jerk when, when these kinds of... Uh, propaganda and psychological operations are directed in your direction. So um, that's that's part of their entire movement that's happening there. But again, it's also the it's also a benefit if you get caught into these psychological loops because you're going to spend more time raging online. You're going to spend more time in front of a of a machine that's just designed to sell you ads, right? That that's just essentially what it is. So what happened in our conversation, me and that guy? Um, I say. The, you know what? Yeah, I am getting emotional because the fall of democracy before my very eyes is a pretty um, emotional affair. And then I said, I'll see you on the streets. Just trying to say that I'm, I'm, I intend to protest, which is my constitutional right. And he said, yeah, you know what? You do look like the Antifa type, the white male and everything. He says, don't go burning businesses. Boom. Look at what just happened there. Um, really, I, I I'm feeling myself getting more radicalized every single second. I'm getting pissed off, man. Like now protesting is immediately assumed to be um, domestic terrorism, right? I can't go out and do what my father's father fought for in this country, my freedom to try and speak up against what I think is wrong. And that is my constitutional right. And it's now been totally just trampled on by the attorney general yeah, and Trump yeah. now, by their anti-protest rhetoric. Right? For every person who is rioting, right, there's 10,000 or 50,000 people who are peacefully protesting. But that they, they point at that handful of rioters and they say, look, every single one of these protesters is an evil, you know, radical. 
Like, also, Joe Biden is frankly handling this exactly right. Exactly right. He's saying rioting is bad, right? Burning businesses is bad. That is not protesting. That is criminality. That should be punished. That should be prosecuted. He has said that many, many, many times. That doesn't stop Donald Trump from telling his rabid rabble that Joe Biden is going to just sit back and, and let the evil lefties burn the country to the ground. Hardly, hardly. I mean, there's a reason that the far left does nothing but shit on Joe Biden all day long on Twitter. They don't like him any more than the Trump voters do. And many of them for the same reasons. Like Joe Biden is the real law and order candidate in this election. Trump is intentionally sowing racial violence because it's his own Reichstag fire. That's what's going on. Yep. Yep. And, and with the far right and the far left, right, they, a lot of this is because there, there is an incentive for them to happen. It's almost like we're summoning the Leviathan, right? And Trump's doing it. Trump is saying, oh, look at all these protesters. Look at all this. He's inflaming all of these, all of these fears. And, and those fears are being picked up by the social media algorithm. People are engaging within it, and it's like you are actually creating the thing that you're talking about that doesn't currently exist. You're manifesting it into thin air just by invoking those fears. That is the danger of what Trump is. That is the danger of what a divider is in a society, in a modern day and age, with the technology that has the ability to manipulate an entire country in a way that technology has never been able to do before. That is why if you are watching this, if you are listening to this, you do not have the ability to allow this to happen. You just Yeah, don't. totally. And, and if, you, if you buy into the populist narrative, that's like, oh, regular people can't help it. They're too busy paying the bills to pay attention. They can't be held accountable for the fact that they didn't vote. They can't be held accountable for the fact that they voted third party. What you're doing is you are agreeing with Trump. You are giving into his worldview and Vladimir Putin's worldview. Their worldview is regular people are suckers who exist only to be manipulated by superior people like us. Do you agree with that? Do you want to be a sucker? Do you want to, like, I mean, like, that's just, that's just giving up your own liberty. Your freedom for security, you deserve neither, right? And that's what's going on right now. People are scared of exaggerated news about, you know, like this window was broken here or there or whatever, right? And again, to be clear, that's bad. We should not be allowing it. And there's a reason why democratically elected mayors and cities are sending out cops and rounding those people up and arresting them as they should be, right? Like, but it's a tiny problem in comparison to the real danger to our democracy and our right to protest civilly. Yeah, yeah. And I, I really do have a faith that the average person especially if you're currently watching the stream, which my YouTube chat just went out, so I'm sorry if I don't quite pick up on some, some things that might be said in there. You, people have the ability to think critically, and if you, give them the, if you give them the trust to do so, just like how I believe if you give people the trust to obtain a universal basic income and use it proactively in a way that benefits society, I think people have the, the ability to really respect their intellectual capacity enough to understand when they're being manipulated and have the the ability to take these lessons that you learn and pass them along to the people within your immediate circle and engage in discussions with them that can help them understand the manipulation at play too uh with enough intelligence this is this is the most tragic thing i think about all of this and at the end of the social dilemma they they say listen we are on the cusp of either utopia 
or complete collapse. And we really are. With enough intelligence, you can solve any problem. Unplanned pregnancies is just a problem to be solved, like polio. We were able to eradicate polio, and we can eradicate unplanned pregnancies. Now, overturning Roe versus Wade isn't going to ha let that happen. People are going to go across state lines. People will do it in their own home. You're right. not no, going to be clear. What that means is that in those red states in the middle of the country, which are already being turned into third world dystopias, and would be even worse if not for all of the money that is being taken from affluent blue states like California and New York, and then redistributed to Trump supporting welfare queens in the red states, those states are going, their poverty rate is going to explode. Their crime rate is going to go up. Um, and the, you know, liberal states like California and New York will have to build walls to keep those people out. I mean, this is just a terrifying nightmare. I'm, yes, of course, we should be you know, giving people sex education, um, we, we, we should be like making it easier for people to access things like condoms and um, birth control, etc. But it's rather telling that the people who oppose abortion also oppose all that stuff. Like, I mean, do, do they want to stop abortions or not? Right. Like, what is their real motivation here? Yeah, understand what will happen. Like the unplanned pregnancies along the people who can afford it least will skyrocket. The people who can afford it will continue to go and have abortions as they please. Yeah, all, all that you will have achieved in is giving um, the, the, you know, a certain class more ability to choose how they, they reproduce. You, you'll wind up with a much larger segment of the population that is stressed and unable to to you know, like we're both sitting here, we have the ability to have these kind of discussions and try and think critically, but we, we know the issues of poverty. It, it reduces your ability to actually try and expand your worldview and to expand the ways in which you're able to positively engage in the world to give you the ability to sit back and go, hey, you know what? These people don't actually, they're not actually inhuman. I can think a little more critically about this. You're going to wind up with a society that is much more tight, strung, and much more closer to collapse, and you will not have solved the problem of abortion overall. So please respect your intellectual capabilities and, and, and respect science and reason. Do not respect Facebook posts, random Facebook posts. Don't respect Twitter posts. Get off of these systems if you feel yourself being emotionally manipulated and, and teach this to other people. The, the situation is extremely dire and we find ourselves in a moment where we have to act. And I, I feel like I may have some kind of like hero complex right now. And a lot of people think that that's a silly notion, but really the, the fate of the world is in your hands. It's in my hands. We, we, we cannot allow this to continue happening in the way that it has been currently. And that means- You could be my Messiah, Seth. Sign me up for Sephology tomorrow. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, like, I like everything you're saying. And I, I really appreciate that it's coming from a progressive and uh, somebody significantly to my left. I mean, I think it's very important for liberal Republicans, ex-Republicans, and liberal Democrats to come together and stand up for liberal values against the enemies of liberalism in both radical bases right now. We absolutely need to do that. Um, and the best way to de-radicalize those people is to get something like a UBI, which is why UBI went over so well with uh, so many Trump voters, right? But unfortunately, they're not listening to Andrew Yang, right? They didn't support Andrew Yang because of the reasons Andrew Yang ran. Andrew Yang ran because he recognized that Trump is a threat to our civilization and that the reason he's in power is because there are a lot of people who are suffering and who are easily manipulated by a lying con man demagogue like him. And he's trying to save our democracy 
and our economic system from collapse. But that's not the reason why a lot of Trump supporters are in the Yang Gang. They're in the Yang Gang for the back. It's just their own selfish interests they're looking out for. They don't care about saving civilization, clearly, because if they did, they would be listening to him right now and voting for Joe Biden. If Joe Biden wins and we get democracy dollars, UBI is just around the corner. If Trump wins re-election and he, without, he, he's not worried about um, running for re-election again, there's nothing to stop him from stacking every court with a total ideologue. And then if we, if, assuming we even have a democracy at all after that, um, you know, then it's, let's say Yang wins, it's going to be that much harder for him to do something if every court is stacked against it, right? Right. Yeah, again. Um, and it's not just the Supreme Court. It's, it's, uh, it's you know, all down the system. Again, who is the person that Trump thinks is a fit for the Supreme Court? Tom Cotton, guy who's saying that slavery was a necessary evil. So this He's a goddamn Ku Klux Klan guy. Like, like, let's be clear. If somebody's willing to say that out loud, that slavery was a necessary evil, that means that they believe that it's not evil. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right? right. Yeah. What is his thoughts going to be? I mean, be if, that's, on... if that's what he's willing to say out loud, what's, what is he really thinking in the privacy of his goddamn racist heart? Yes, yes. And, and we, we are looking down the barrel of the next 40 years of our lives being oversought by a conservative Supreme Court. Like, if I ever were to have children, that's the kind of world that I'm going to bring them up to. You can say goodbye to the idea of a universal basic income ever happening. And accelerationism is not going to happen. You're just going to wind up in a fascist dictatorship, as someone uh, very aptly put forward. So again, like if you ever ha thought that Yang's ideas were good, even at the bare minimum, you have to understand that it is just not going to happen if you don't if you don't make some kind of effort. Listen, I'm going to hold Biden accountable every single day of his presidency when he is going to inevitably fall back on the neoliberalism that got us into this mess in the first place. But I'm much more willing to do that than to accept the alternative, which is in my mind, completely unacceptable. Yeah, it did not no, I, I, I think you're, I think that even if, even if that were true, your cynicism about Biden, um, I appreciate that you're putting it in context that one is obviously worse than the other. Um, but here's why I'm going to tell you why I don't, I don't actually think that's the case. And keep in mind, this is coming from someone who I openly call myself a neoliberal and a neoconservative, right? Mm -hmm. So I am the establishment. I am the evil corporate Democrat that people like you like fight against. <laughs> okay. And this, this, I'm, I'm just being honest here right now. Um, Biden was in favor of those policies because those policies were popular at the time. People forget that when we went into the Iraq war, the majority of Americans wanted that at the time. Um, you, can, you can talk about how like, oh, they were manipulated or whatever, but the bottom line is they were popular. Mm. Um, the kinds of policies that I would default to of small government and low taxes are not popular. They're not even popular in the Republican Party, which is why we have someone like Trump in there who, frankly, you have to go to a socialist like Bernie Sanders to find somebody as hostile to free trade capitalism as Donald Trump is. Neoliberal, neoconservative worldview that I hold is very unpopular. And Joe Biden, you could, if, if nothing else, I think he's a much more, much more decent person than this, right? But even if you think he's just a totally... Um, morally bankrupt person, if only for his own benefit as a politician who wants to go down in history as a good president and a popular president who wants to get reelected, he's going to be advocating for the policies that are popular now, now, right? Um, like when, when, when Obama was elected the first time around, um, 
Biden and Obama were both saying that they thought that, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman. All right. Um, before his first term ended, they came out in favor of same-sex marriage. So just because they're not saying they're in favor of UBI right now doesn't mean they won't be in the near future. We need to work on moving the numbers. And when they're popular, Joe Biden will support it. That's a pretty strong case that you're making there, because especially in the environment of uh, this, this trend of the GOP's last gasp to try and maintain some type of control over a very quickly changing demographic, like they're on, they've refused to change. We've talked about that before. They're on the way out the door. They know it. You, you, yeah, no, they're, they're in fight or flight. Right. right. But what's scary about that is when people are in that position, they feel like they have nothing to lose. Yeah. And there's nothing, there's no level that they won't sink to. And what does that kind of society look like where through deception, through hypocrisy, through the willful manipulation of democratic decorum that you wind up with control over the Supreme Court, you wind up with control over uh, the White House, even though you've lost the popular vote. And then these people are coming of age, they're entering into a society that is just stacked against them, even though it is theirs. It is it, like, it's time for you to, you know, the Bob Dylan song, like get out of the way. It, it, that's, that's a bad situation to be in. That, that is a conflict that's gonna make the conflict that we've seen so far seem extremely small. And it's just not gonna be, it's not going to be acceptable. So as, to whatever degree that you are correct, and I think you are, I, I think I can concede that, yes, those things were popular at that time. And it makes even more sense when we consider the ways that cultural values shift with technology and, and like technology is seeing an exponential increase. It's not surprising that the politicians seem so outdated even faster and faster and faster and faster. My personal goal would see younger politicians in, but that's, that's idealism for sure. Yeah. Um, it's, it seems to me that we ought to end on a positive note. Um, I don't want it to be all doom and gloom. So, so here's my, my uh, final take. And then I've started a new tradition on moving forward that I always give the guest the, the final word um, because I have a lot of power as the anchoring host to control the narrative of the show. Um, and so I think it's important that I give you guys um, something to balance that out. Um, but my final takeaway is that right now, things are bad, but we can still turn the ship around. It's not so bad that we should give up yet. It's not so bad that we should you know, start expatriating and getting citizenship someplace else, but it could get there. It could get there. Um, we only have two unqualified ideologues on the Supreme Court right now. We're a, we might have three soon, right? That's getting really close to being half already. Um, so let's stop it while we still can. Um, but frankly, that's really, really positive because this is doable. Trump is unpo very unpopular. He's like the most unpopular incumbent in my lifetime. Um, and Joe Biden does much better with white working class voters in the flyover states than Hillary Clinton did. He, is, um, he has a real shot at winning. And this isn't just about the presidency. It's about the Senate too. All of the traitors um, who have betrayed not just the country, but their own conservative values in order to cozy up to a, a dictator, um, an enemy of America, uh, the Siberian candidate, we've got to vote those fuckers out too. Um, and again, this is coming from somebody who does not look forward to the left's rise within the Democratic Party. I will be fighting it when that time comes. We'll be on opposite sides of that war. Um, although we'll have the consensus positions like UBI that they can bring us together. 
So, uh, you know, like if, if, if I can do the right thing and put country before my ideology, then so should other people be able to. Mm. If we don't do it, then we don't deserve to keep our liberty. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'll, I'll leave off. I'm going to start off a little cynical, but I hope by the end of it, it's going to be optimistic. Um, the fire alarm has been set. It's going off right now. And it's called the fire alarm because of the studies they, they, they did on like how much, how much of the population is going to take action when people around them are not. So you put one person into a room filled with actors and they're sitting during a lecture and the fire alarm goes off. And like over time, you start to put smoke underneath the door and start to fill up the room. And all the actors are supposed to just stand still and not ever make a remark, not ever act like there's anything amiss. And the goal was to see like how many people would actually get up and, and, and reject that huge part of our social construct that cares about how other people act and how we can conform and stay in that room and, and, and not break the norm. And only 10%, only 10% of the, the people who were involved in those studies actually had what it took to stand up and, and say, listen, there's some serious stuff happening right now. So the fire alarm has gone off, I think, in more than one ways. It's gone off in terms of the sanctity of our government and the stability of our way of life. It's also go gone off with artificial intelligence. We are, we are quickly facing a rapid expansion of a box of intelligence that will outpace the combined totality of every human being on this planet. And every single problem in this universe is a problem that can be solved if we have enough intelligence. Within the next 10 years, it is theoretically possible that we would have um, the tool needed in order to completely eradicate human suffering, basically completely. We are on the brink of utopia and we are on the brink of complete dystopia. And it comes down to that 10% who's gonna determine which path we choose. This is the most important time to be alive as a human being. There has been no other point in time where the stakes have been this high and the potential outcome and reward been so important. There, if things go our way, if we can just make it over this hill, it will be amazing and very great. And I have optimism within me that we will find solutions. Um, I'm looking right now Outside of politics itself, I'm looking towards cryptocurrency. I'm looking towards artificial intelligence itself because it, oftentimes technology, things outside of the political bubble are things that change the world forever and change politics themselves too. So on my channel, um, Daily Dividends, I've started hopefully a daily episode, maybe with the weekends off, I'm not too sure. Um, I'm going to be updating as I come across these important things that I think most of the, the, the country is tuned out of completely. And I'm going to be trying to supply people with the tools needed to think more critically about the ways that technology is shaping us, the ways that it could shape us, um, and, and hopefully give people something to look forward to. I am not normally this drastic. Today is just a, that kind of day. So we can do it we can do it. Just, just never, never be afraid to engage in a conversation 
recognize the humanity within other people. They are humans. Do not let this algorithm make you treat them like they are monsters or make you think that they are monsters like they don't understand you. There are psychopaths, but it's about 1% of the population. Recognize their humanity. Try and open up. And, and when you're suffering, tell people that you're suffering. When you're scared, tell people that you're scared because they feel those things too. And they can connect with you if you're honest with them. Because this entire time, that's what we're feeling. Uh, the pandemic had started it off and, and it's just reaching new heights. So find other people, talk to them, open up people who aren't on Twitter, people who aren't on Facebook, make sure you're socially distancing. It's hard. I don't have the answers. Go outside, take in the, the, the nature that surrounds you, the color green, look at the leaves and try and be in this moment, be in here right now and recognize how beautiful things are and don't give up hope. We can get through this together. Well, that was beautifully said and inspiring. So thanks for that, Seth. Um, and you might say that our common ground is that moving forward is our gumbo. It's delicious. And I love gumbo. Thank you so much for having me on, man. Hey. It's Seth, host of The Dividend Report. I'd like to thank Rio for the conversation today. More importantly, I'd like to thank you, the awesome Moving Forward community. These conversations are hard and getting even harder as we near the election. If you share my hope that discussions like these can happen more frequently, support the Moving Forward podcast at movingforwardpod.com. Look after yourselves and your mental health. Things are going to get better. I'll catch you all soon.